I'm just saying, it's not so cut and dried. This is episode 30 of They're All Going to Laugh at Him. I'm Alex Sprague. And I'm Jess Geyer. And whoa, we're halfway there. We're also living on a prayer. This is now (laughs) a Bon Jovi podcast. And why are we talking about Bon Jovi today, Jessica? Um, because we really want to dive into the cultural meaning, the themes, the, the motifs, the imagery, and really the music of Bon Jovi and ask ourselves, does he deserve the hate? That's, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I like that better. I, I did take a Mariah Carey speech and rewrite it to be about Adam Sandler, but I think yours is better. So I'm just going to hope Mariah Carey shows up in another movie. Yeah, this is this is a podcast not about Bon Jovi or Mariah Carey. Uh, it is a movie about Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler-adjacent films. We're watching all 60 of those in a row every day and podcasting about it. What do we watch today? You don't mess with the Zohan. Or Zohan. But I really wish they took the U off there, right? Just don't mess with the Zohan. It's a really long name. I think Don't Mess with the Zohan, an extra $15 million they would have made. Yeah, I I think those actually just printing the movie tickets alone had to have cost them a fortune, all that extra ink. Uh, Billions. (laughs) Uh, I was, um, I remember watching this movie in theaters and I remember finding a lot of it enjoyable. Mm -hmm. I cannot lie to you this movie was really good in my opinion <laughs> yeah i liked it a lot i thought it was really good um it's very funny it uh it's real low on the comedy scale of offensiveness in my opinion um and it had a pretty you know maybe a little bit of a whimsical dreamy message but its message was solid and its satire was pretty uh pretty good yeah, I I agree that the satire was pretty good. Now, I feel like this is one of the most divisive Adam Sandler movies out there, though. Dude, I, I think there's probably a lot of a lot of white people who didn't like the message in this movie. I yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm obviously I'm not from Palestine and I'm not from Israel. I'm not I'm not Jewish and I'm not Arabic. So my perspective on this as an American white person is very limited. Yeah. Um so again, as always, if there's something that you disagree with us in this podcast and you want to set the record straight, I we would really like to hear from you. Um, we have a Twitter account, as we say at the end of every episode. So if, if there is something that you really would like to say, please, please let us know. Like, I, I would want to point out before you uh, tweet, we do find Rob Schneider's performance in this racist. Yes. Um, don't worry. We always think Rob Schneider's <laughs> racist. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the rest of the movie, and I, I think that might not be a great sign that I'm able to kind of like, be like, well, the parts Rob Schneider's not being racist in were good. <laughs> the The movie has problems. It it can be problematic at times. I 
think that you'll you'll find that in a lot of movies that people do find good and appreciate and like and can be valuable in other ways. Um, it for a comedy for the mid two thousands, it's very enjoyable and it it can ha- has some good themes that I that I actually do agree with. So you know, plus I laughed. I laughed so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I laughed a lot at this one. Um, I think it's also interesting to point out this movie was written in the year 2000 and was held off for eight years because of the 9-11 terror attacks which is a good call yeah they thought people wouldn't uh be willing to listen to the movie most likely Mm -hmm. um i think before we even chat about it the movie satirizes the israel and palestine conflict um Mm -hmm. i'm not i don't know enough about the whole thing to come up with a good solution, and I don't think that's something you guys expect from us, so we're going to kind of gloss over that part. Yeah. But we are going to talk about how the movie makes kind of fun of some of the representations of this, Mm -hmm. and it definitely makes fun of what America says they should do, basically. Yes, I think, just to kind of bounce off your point too, we aren't necessarily going to shy away from the politics of things. But we don't have the political science like prowess necessary to be making claims. And I don't want to get into a debate about it either. You know, that's it's not the place for this podcast. And it's not my place to say stuff about this, really. Like I could probably figure out an opinion on this um if i went and talked to and read from israeli people and palestinian people and kind of figured out what was going on and then i'd feel but i only i only have a a a slight understanding of it and a little bit more because conan o'brien went there and that was a really good (laughs) show he did in israel i i remember that one yeah i do that was actually a really good episode and i do have an opinion about it but Again, this podcast is not the place for me to be, like, talking about yeah, it. So I'm not saying I don't have an opinion. I'm saying my opinion really doesn't fucking matter. No. <laughs> and, you know, my opinion's a little bit closer to the fact that borders are nonsense anyway. Mm-hmm. So, don't know. Don't expect a super detailed critique on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict because this movie also doesn't cover that very much either. It it talks about it, but it's commenting on something different and adjacent. Let's let's yes. talk now though about critics stuff. So the most important Yeah, what do you think the critical review and what do you think the audience review was? Okay. Now, like I said, I think this movie is pretty divisive. So I'm going to say that the audience I'm going to put them in 50s to 60s. Probably more toward the 60s, like low 60s is what I would guess. Um, Especially like from 2000, because this is 2008, right? Yes, 2008. This kind of movie, I don't know if people in 2008 were ready for it, if that makes sense. So I'm going to put it there. I, I mean, when I saw it when I was 16... I didn't even pick up on the Palestine and Israel stuff. No, me neither, of like, course. I, like, that's the level I was at. So, and I think me at 16, just about, uh, he just, like, 
I uh, me at sixteen is about as politically uh, smart as most people now. Like not, not no. Oh, I was a real smart high schooler. It's I grew up in Vermont and was taught about politics instead of being shied away from it. Sorry, who? Say that again. Who are you talking about? Oh, you said me at sixteen. I thought you were talking about yes. someone called Mia sixteen. <laughs> you you have. <laughs> okay we'll just continue on i'm i can't continue that conversation because <laughs> i don't i love that you thought i was talking about a mia 16 who's really good at politics i no, i thought you were talking about like some like person who had reviewed this movie or like was yeah, a youtuber yeah. no, or something no. i don't know anyway um i think for critics again they hate adam sandler this movie was in the 30s i think that if it ranked higher than The Animal, I would be surprised. Just knowing critics. Well, you will be surprised because the critic meter was a 37. Okay. I'm, I'm audience, happily surprised. 45. The audiences didn't uh, like it. Like I said, this movie feels so divisive. Um, is that okay? I will say. Okay. Big, big ups to my man, uh, Roger Ebert, who finally understands when to say a movie's good. And it was this time. He liked this one. Uh, although he, he did say that... Chandler worked so hard at this and so shamelessly that he battered down my resistance. Three out of four. <laughs> Three Pretty out of good. four? Yeah. Wow. So here's my theory on why the audience didn't like it as much. I, like I said, in 2008, I don't think people were ready for this kind of movie. Not because they weren't ready for the themes. I'm not saying that. I'm saying a lot of people are going and still probably watch this movie and they don't understand that the extreme ridiculousness of this movie is done on purpose. Yes, I think that's part of it. And two, knowing 2008 and knowing right now, I think white America from the ages 19 to 37, which is what the Adam Sandler stuff hits, um, are more racist than any other group in America. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I don't think they like a movie that positively portrays uh, Arabic people. And negatively portrays racists. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I legitimately think that that was probably an issue with some people is that it was po positively displaying another culture and... There is a, I mean, I'm just remembering what 2008 was like in Burlington, Vermont. That was some racist shit. Oh, yeah. The fact that, like, <laughs> just thinking of, like, how this movie went over in Texas, no idea. How many times did you laugh? I laughed 65 times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is, like, a two-hour-long movie, so, um, you know. Not the laugh density Grandma's Boy was, but it is up there. And it was a good time. And a lot of these laughs were pretty hard. Yeah. There were some good ones in there. There's a lot that I remember very specifically from having watched this movie in the theater that w they just, they got me so good. Like Adam Sandler swimming, like <laughs> like, like the Terminator, basically. <laughs> and like all yeah. of the flips and, and like, oh my gosh, there was so much physical, bizarre humor in this movie that it was really hard not to laugh at it but you know i am immature so i like when people get folded up into pretzels <laughs> yeah and the fact that they 
constantly one of the things I really like the movie is uh, Adam Sandler's character Zohan doesn't have there's no risk that he couldn't go in and Superman everything he is a Superman but they take that off the table as a realistic way to end things (laughs) he could fight any amount of people for any reason and win therefore that's not what we're talking about right and it's for me the the part of like D and like which is i like the part that's not fighting so i don't like D. it's it's the you know you're going to have the social stuff and you're gonna have him talking and trying to figure out problems without using violence because this man does so much violence it would, wouldn't even be fun to watch yeah you know what i think at the end of my plot recap we should outline all of the superhuman powers that are outlined in the movie too just why just to recap the whole movie no not, oh, no no oh, no okay no like a list I'll of throw superpowers. in some random stuff like a, as we go <laughs> yeah okay i just want to like i want a list of superpowers just to show like like literally this is mm. i think it has a point so okay yes zohan played by adam sandler is an israeli counter-terrorist who likes disco and has literal supernatural powers his dream is to go to america to become a hairstylist and he's sick of the war and fighting and just wants to pursue his dream. He is called away from vacation to capture Phantom, played by John Turturro, who is a Palestinian terrorist. During their confrontation, Zohan fakes his own death and goes to America to try to get a job at a Paul Mitchell hair salon under the pseudonym Scrappy Coco, who were the names of the two dogs that he gave haircuts to on the plane. Unfortunately, his outdated Paul Mitchell book and his music tastes get him laughed at, but he does beat up a guy who's harassing Nick Swartzen and finds a place to live. Um, He continuously has sex with Nick Swartzen's mom and takes him to the disco to apologize and to get him some women. Um, Here, he is recognized by Ori. Ori gives him a card for his electronics store. Sadly... Well, and Zohan doesn't want to work at an electronics store. But sadly, Zohan's experience, inexperience in the world outside of counterterrorism and war make it hard for him to get a job in hairstyling. So he meets up with Ori in a neighborhood where Israeli stores are on one side of the street and Palestinian stores are on the other. Ori tells him that he just, he can't, let Zohan give up on his dream uh, of being a stylist, so he sends him to the hair salon across the street on the Palestinian side called Rafaela's Salon. At first, Zohan doesn't want to work for a Palestinian, um, but Ori says that the differences don't really matter in America. Dahlia, the owner of the shop, refuses to let him cut hair at first because he does he literally has no experience, even though he continuously says that he's the best. Uh, but one of, when one of her stylists quits, Zohan gets her clients. He's very popular with older women because he practically has sex with them while doing their hair and literally has sex with them afterwards. I, I saw someone say that this was a obvious reference to Max Bialystok and the producers. And I was like, is it? I think it's just like, you, you can just bang old ladies. That doesn't have to be a reference <laughs> to the producer. Yeah, Max Bialystok doesn't have a monopoly on, on banging old ladies. You fucking hear that? That was a threat to any Max Bialystoks out there. <laughs> Plus, Max Bialystok doesn't actually, he's not actually attracted to these older women. Whereas Zohan, 
like legitimately is attracted to them and yeah, and wants he's... to give them a good time. Mm-hmm. He does though. I just want to mention too. He he sexually harasses uh, Dahlia a couple times, and she has to keep saying like, "You can't do that." Uh, he just he just doesn't well, understand because no one has been uh, uh, no one has been unattracted to him. Da- I'm not so sure about that. I remember him specifically having a big scene where he says, you don't eat where you shit uh, because it's not okay and you don't do that in the workplace. Yeah, but he says that after being admonished. Oh. Or or was it before? Like, there's that one no, point when... she was just... She was scolding him. Oh, oh, he it, he doesn't sexually harass her. He, no, no, he says yeah, it to an older woman, and she says, like, you can't do that here in the salon. He stabs himself in the leg, saying, I've betrayed my salon. But the older woman said that she didn't mind. That's what happened. Sorry, yeah. I was uh, mistaking that. I was going to say, like, that would have been a lot different for me if he had been, like... Basically, throughout this movie so far, he's so over the top and everything that... It's obviously not a realistic portrayal of like no him hitting on old women or him fighting people that none of it could be really, I think, construed as anything but satire of the fact. And then the fact that he has that firm line where he wouldn't uh, sexually harass a coworker yeah. is very <laughs> humorous to me. Yeah. Like. Um, yeah, again, he's like supposed to be like preternaturally attractive (laughs) that's the thing yeah um and okay anyway uh this is all under the backdrop of the wallbridge company raising rents and trying to chase people out of the neighborhood uh and like threatening to turn off water this is because they want to take all of the shops and they want to destroy the neighborhood to build a mall um in fact, the Walbridge Company has hired people to stoke tensions in the area between the Israelis and the Palestinians by hiring people to, like, write racist graffiti on their windows so they'll blame the other side. Um, like, they write racial slurs on, on the windows of one of the um, buildings, which they get, they get caught during the Neighborhood Watch because Zohan has taken over the watch for Nick Swardson. Also, Rob Schneider, playing a Palestinian taxi driver whose goat was stolen by Zohan, tries to get revenge on him by calling Phantom and telling him that Zohan is still alive. So Phantom comes to America to really kill him this time. But first, he's going to go to a hacky sack tournament uh, with Israel versus Lebanon in the hacky sack tournament, which is hosted by Walbridge. So while everyone is there in the neighborhood, because all of the Israelis and the Palestinians in that neighborhood, they want to go see the hacky sack tournament, uh, Walbridge's false flag operation goes underway, where a group of professional racists in racist (laughs) Jew and Arab costumes start fires in order to try to cause a race war. I know you don't know who it was, but do you know who the leader of that group was? I don't. It was Dave Matthews again. What? <laughs> and I don't know why they always have Dave Matthews in these roles. <laughs> oh. That's so good. I love it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Zohan and Phantom team up to fight back. 
sadly, their supersonic powers destroy the neighborhood anyway. But that's all right. They build a mall there where all the shops from before inside one mall. Uh, Dahlia and Zohan are together and they have opened up a, a joint hair salon that combines their two names together, which I thought was actually pretty cute. And Nick Swartzen has taken Zohan's place as the sexy hairdresser. Now, I haven't mentioned at all the B-plot. I guess it would even be like a D-plot at this point where Zohan can't get it up anymore because he's fallen in love with Dahlia. And he goes to a doctor to try to figure out what's wrong with his penis. And that's when we find out that his, his what we thought has been a monster penis this entire time has just been a very yes. monster bush. <laughs> yeah, he, he has either a giant bush. I think he also wears a cod piece just because it looks cool. <sighs> Multiple good stuff going there. Oh my gosh. But I, I wanted to talk about like the literal superpowers that both the Phantom and Okay, and let me Zohan list have. off what I know of Zohan. Mm-hmm. He can swim faster than a jet ski. A, uh, jet ski. Mm-hmm. He can float. He can levitate. Mm-hmm. Um, he can turn. He he has the ability to turn people into like human pretzels <laughs> mm-hmm. by twisting them up. Um, he has perfect strength control to the point where he can punch out dents in cars. Mm-hmm. He also has super strength. Mm-hmm. Um, he can do parkour. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, is able to mix his voice with a Palestinian man's voice <laughs> to be cut to make a sonic screech. Apparently, though, that this is a power that no one has used, according to the movie. Oh, my God. That was so bizarre. Sorry. Yeah. Um... <laughs> He also, uh, he, he's dexterous to the point of basically godhood. Um, he catches bullets in his nose and in his fingers. God, is, is that it? He, I think that's he it, He right? is invulnerable to pain. Oh, yes. We never- oh, and he, can, he uh, doesn't need to breathe for minutes at a time, at least. Yep. He can talk to animals. Or was that just a well-trained stork? I don't know. He talked know. to the, the the dogs, too. <laughs> well, he's just talking at the dogs. That's fair, but... Um, and also, he doesn't bleed, as far as we know. Because when he, when he stabs himself in the leg, he doesn't bleed. Same thing with yeah. jo- um, uh, the phantom. Phantom doesn't bleed when the piranha bites his neck. Yeah. Um. And also, when his hand is chopped off, he can control oh, yes. his hand, his disembodied hand, to stab another person. The hand can levitate, and apparently, he can also reattach his own hand or regenerate it somehow. Yeah. Um. And Phantom. Oh, he also has super speed because he like super speed oh, kicks yeah, p- people's punch. butts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And Phantom has a power that I don't think that Zohan demonstrated that he can walk on the ceiling. Oh, I forgot about the fact that Phantom at one point runs on the ceiling. Literally the first time we see him, like when he's introduced on screen, not as a picture, he is standing on the ceiling. (laughs) Yes, he is standing on the ceiling and then runs on the ceiling away from Zohan and out of window where gravity starts affecting him again. Yes. (laughs) So at, at no point are these characters supposed to be realistic. Yes. I just wanted to make sure that we pointed that out, that both of these characters are are wildly 
supernatural <laughs> and it is not explained in the movie and it <laughs> is supposed to key you in that this is a super satire yes um i i i do think i want to put like a uh asterisk on the tweet at us when we're wrong about stuff mm -hmm. because if you think like that none of that stuff's funny or something like that <laughs> then don't tweet me at that that's just a bad opinion that and you like because <laughs> all i'm thinking about is how funny it is when thinking back the phantom just sprinting on the ceiling away from zohan <laughs> like that's the most wild intro to a character i've seen in a long oh time oh my gosh I like it a lot. Yeah, the the whole movie is just oh. Also, um, Zohan can do push ups without his hands and also with his tongue. I, I said he could levitate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also like probably his bush prize more dense than a man's should be. <laughs> it's the Who doctor knows? seemed afraid of it. <laughs> yeah, he he said it was suffocating his wiener, so <laughs> strangling it. And, Anyhow, let's talk about the themes of the movie. Oh, because... wait, before you transition, I do want to say one more thing that does make that even more ridiculous is that this is very, very extremely loosely based on a real person who was in the Israeli army and then opened up a salon in yeah. San Francisco, I think. But that's really where the similarities uh, end. Solana Beach. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, just that's really where the similarities end. A lot of people try to say like that this person was like a super counterterrorist guy who who um, opened a salon, but I learned that that was not true. Yeah, I mean, so one thing people probably don't know is that uh, Israel has compulsory military service. Uh, I think it's three years, right? Uh, that's what, yes, that's what, that's what Adam Sandler said in the movie. So if we're just going off on the... <laughs> so maybe. Um, but basically, everyone in Israel joins the military for a few years. Um, men and women. And they have some points about this, about the fact that Adam Sandler's character doesn't feel like he he's stuck working in the military because he's good at it and it's not really what he wants to do and he laments the fact that other people were able to do other things and he does he feels trapped in his career now yeah there are a couple times where they talk about the like the gravity of being stuck in a situation of of like mm. a job situation and I think it's it's interesting to note that. For Zohan, it is this governmental imposed system where he has to do, well, where he had to do his three years of compulsory service, but now he's kind of stuck in that. Whereas in America, it's working this low wage job at an electronics store. Where rent is constantly being pushed up to put you kind of over your head all the time. Mm hmm. So I, th I think it's it's interesting to show that those two are, like, they're almost compared or equated. Mm-hmm. Um, and while there is the bit of, obviously, oh, also Zohan can drive a car um, oh, perfectly yeah. and on two wheels. Because uh, <laughs> that's his night job, limo driver. But anyway, it, it shows a little bit like that, but also kind of, I think... 
they're not trying to equate military service with uh, retail work. They're trying to equate the things we force our young people to do and that they get stuck at to each other. Yes. And the fact that, like, none of it's any good, kind of forcing people to do stuff kind of sucks, huh? Mm-hmm. And this is also then equated to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It's not something that any of the people that are involved at that moment started, but they're still trapped in that perpetual cycle. Yeah, they constantly talk about how it's never going to end and they're not doing anything about it. And he's like, I just keep warring all the time. What's the point? And yeah, and that in turn is also compared to the cycle of capitalism. Uh, And I, I find it especially interesting that the only happy people we see in the retail service are these ex-military people for Israel who are have opened small restaurants in America. Yeah. We, we ha- um, I mean, they play, of course, for laughs. Um, they, they have a... I don't remember what he's serving. Uh, maybe, maybe it's pitas, maybe it was uh, falafel or something, but he, like... D, he takes his, one of the machines he cooks with apart to form a gun, basically, <laughs> ready to go. Um, as a joke that, you know, an Israeli ex-soldier would constantly be ready to go fight for another Israeli in America. Yeah. Is the thing they're making fun of, you know, mm-hmm. that they have guns around every corner and they're ready to go. That they have grenades in the full awful fryer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot about the one. Which he fishes out and puts into a to-go box. <laughs> Which is not, like, that's one of the really harmful stereotypes about Israelis and also um, Jews in general that, like, they will always fight for, on behalf of Israel forever. Like, that's not, it's a harmful stereotype that they're, that they're making fun of, I think. I mean, it's, the, the thing that. That that stereotype is exactly the stereotype. Um, well, no, not stereotype. The realistic harm America's doing to itself now, where there's so many people who are like, "Well, I'm gonna fight for America no matter what," and this nationalism that obviously is bad mm-hmm. because you know we. Uh, I know you didn't listen to it, but I listened to our fascist leader's speech the other night, and who boy did he do horrible things and people are just cheering him on. I didn't and the listen, fact that no. people um he like he he did a a big crime. Just just admitted to one of them. That's that's one thing. But anyway, uh like the idea that all Americans would raise arms right now to protect that ideal is the same negative stereotype of someone from Israel doing the same thing, even when they leave. Like, it's obvious nonsense, because I would never, you know, lift a finger to protect our government. <laughs> um, Well, except for the thousands of fingers I lifted to protect our voting rights, but that's for the people. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um... As... Like, there is not compulsory military service here but a lot Mm -hmm. of people too many people i think 
think that it's a good idea for America to have compulsory military service or like some kind of national community service. And I think that that can lead down a, a, a road that can end in extreme nationalism and jingoism. It's not really something that I would really like. And you can see for Zohan too in this movie that he suffers from trauma from his experience in the military as well. Hmm. And like he cannot fit into regular society anymore because of, you know, because of his experiences. I mean, he had a very violent career. Uh, he said that he killed like seven, seven people by the time he was five. Yeah. Like, and he, he constantly says things out of context, like, don't worry, we'll lose them or something like that. Like there's, it's clear that he has like, they're talking yeah, about the trauma. He's still a military yeah. guy. This is similar to me to that. Um, I they say that it's a Japanese proverb, but I'm always really reluctant to believe when people say something is a so and so proverb. Yeah, well, I, I was going to say, are you about to speak in Japanese? Otherwise, no. I have some news for you. <laughs> no, uh, uh, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. But I feel like that's one of those statements that <laughs> is really harmful, you know, like, I don't I don't I don't believe in the truth of that proverb. It's it's creating a, a dichotomy that shouldn't exist, and I think for for Zohan, he's fallen into that dichotomy. You know. Yeah, uh, I mean, not even to think about the fact that a warrior in a garden is gonna starve to death. That fucking idiot. <laughs> well, I also I mean, like I heard something kind of adjacent to this, where like, why why would you train your warriors to learn how to garden? Well, it's so they can be you know productive members of society when there isn't a war. But um, I usually just hear the the first thing that I said. Yeah, um, I mean, I I agree closer with uh, some people who listen to this might know that Heinlein is my favorite author. Yet, hey, guess what? I'm not a libertarian. It's almost as if you can equate people's ideas to good things. And he had this long thing about how what every man should know, and it's like being able to raise a child being able to grow something, being able to set a bone. And it's all just random things that might be useful in stressful situations. Mm -hmm. And it was like being <laughs> rolling around and playing with dogs was one. Like, it's not the nonsense you hear, like every man should know how to oil and fire a gun. It's like, you should know how to raise a kid, maybe, if you're planning on having kids. Um, and I find it very funny, the the crazy... Basically, how out of context people will take these ideas of warriors should know how to fight and they should breathe and they should be warriors. Um, as if, like, war isn't the worst thing that can happen to, like, a people at a given time, basically. Yeah. Like, there, there's so much glorification of that that it's, it's hard to even get past to people. Like, why... Why would you wish for something like that? Mm -hmm. That's just a bad thing.
This movie, too, also shows how the effects of war overseas and abroad can still impact the diaspora in America. Like America does have to grapple a lot with international issues because we do have so many immigrants. And, you know, of course, they're, they're still going to have ties to their to their home countries. They're still going to have ties to their home cultures. They're still going to be very concerned about what's going on in in those cultures that they're tied to. So I, I think uh, also more importantly, uh, America is the most violently yes. imperialistic country to exist in this like era, at least. Um, England sure had a run of it back in the day, but like to to act like we wouldn't have to deal with our own fallout is, you know, a childish idea. It's an, it's an idea only childs would have that we could do the things we did and not see any repercussions. Yeah. But, obviously, American government's bad, but do you know why it's so bad? Is it because of capitalism? It's because of capitalism, which is the real villain in this movie. Adam Sandler is a comrade. That's all I'm going to say. That's not true. I have more to say. <laughs> so, there's... There, it, it, it comes from a lot of forms. There's capitalism stopping people from the American dream. There's capitalism destroying small business and promoting large business. And there's capitalism stoking um, basically tension between different races. Yeah, it's the capitalist, the anti-capitalist message of this movie resonates so hard with me during this time when we see all of these Black Lives Matter protests and we see far-right extremist, racist, white supremacists trying to start, literally trying to start a, a race war. Yeah, uh, uh, and uh, in this movie, they, they literally have rich people, rich white people, hire racists to show up in a community that's not theirs and start fires in order to cause tension between people. Yes, and I am not saying that all violence that happens in a protest is caused by quote-unquote outside agitators, because that typically is, like, um, it's like misinformation that people try to spread to delegitimize a protest. There's plenty of legitimate anger and and um, property destruction, you know, in a, in a protest. But, like, yeah, right well, now, like, you've heard of the, the stupid boogaloo thing right like there's literally that going on there is uh multiple people have been murdered in the past week by right-wing alt-right white supremacist whatever you want to call them mm -hmm. um the one the same yes groups trying to hurt uh the core of our country basically yeah so this this movie maybe it hits better now So in 2008, they might have said, what millionaire white supremacist type 
would hire these ignorant racists to come and try to kill people of color and destroy their businesses and cause tension. And it's just exactly what's happening right now. Yeah. It's it's like a very poignant movie for what's going on right now, um, specifically. Yeah, maybe I wouldn't have like found it so interesting to watch if I watched this like even last year, you know? But like right now, I was like, damn, this movie could have been a like like you could call this Seattle and you could call their little neighborhood the the chop uh and like the whole movie would play out almost exactly the same (laughs) you know i knew a lot of changes would be neat neat oh yeah 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 i understand what you're getting at yeah like the 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 theme works fine that said um i know we're talking about the fact that this is a satire they're not they're not making fun of the communities at all no they're making fun of their di- perceived differences and the things that try to like destroy their community and how americans perceive them because yes you see like when when the first uh the first hired racists that are spray painting like racial slurs on the one window when zohan confronts them about like writing um, racial slurs that are toward the Arabic people in the neighborhood, they call him, I'm going to say this, I'm going to quote directly from the movie just to give you an idea. They call him Rabbi Towelhead, which is a combination of like an insult toward a Jewish person and an insult toward an Arabic person. Showing how like racists don't, just, they don't care about these differences. That you look like you're from the Middle East, so therefore you're bad. I, I mean, I literally read a review by some real dumb idiot who uh, wrote how this movie promotes Muslims and then in quotations wrote Marxists. Oh, my God. And it's what? just like, they, they, yeah, they just mix everything they hate <laughs> together in a like mishmash that, you know, obviously because I mean, there's no way, in my opinion, you could really hate a people if you understood them. Of course, of course. Like, so, you, their ignorance is part of their power of hatred, basically. I mean, yeah, am I just taking Ender's Games message of uh, <laughs> that? And, uh, yeah, I know. That's where I got it from, but it, it struck true, even if that dude sucks. I, I just find it really interesting that they did basically a a very good portrayal of what it you know the kind of satirizing how america sees the other Mm -hmm. and what makes it ironic is to um the israelis and the palestinians in this movie and and a lot of times in the real world like the differences between them are in such stark contrast Mm-hmm. But to your to your average racist, like, those things don't matter. Like, that's the irony in it. Like, they... It's, it's just weird. It's, it's Racists suck. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now, I want to bring up the, this interesting thing, uh, you pup. 
basically the plot point is that they're going to tear down all these small businesses and build a giant mall. And it, because they're tearing down a street that's literally divided with one side Palestine, one side Israel, and putting a mall in its place, is this them making fun of America's idea of the one state solution? So here's what I think. Because, <laughs> again, I have a very limited um, viewpoint on this. I have done research. I have looked into stuff like this from before, not just for today. But I think what that is, like tearing down the wall, the, the community and building a mall in its place could represent an outside influence, like you said, America trying to force something on a community, whereas the mall at the end where everyone is together is a community that they build together. Yeah. But what I want to say with this is, do you remember what superpower does the Phantom and Zohan share? The magic scream, the super sonic. Which is, which is what? It's it's them having a dialogue of sorts, basically. Oh. And it's showing, you know, that's the solution is them talking about it. Uh-huh. Now, I think that's a little bit, um, that's hopeful. Yes. But I think that's a very Adam Sandler take of, like, if, you know, if Palestine and Israel just sat down and talked about it, they could figure it out. Yeah. That's what they're saying. I mean, it's more complicated than that, but it's fucking Adam Sandler. Yeah. Okay. And it's a it's a movie where you're <laughs> where they're literally supersonic screaming. Like, come on, it's like, not gonna be super deep. Get, give him that one. He he did a capitalism's bad, maybe we can let people figure out their own problems in a healthy way. Even if that's probably not, you know, <laughs> it's not going to work exactly like that, most likely. You know, who knows? They might sit down and talk it out tomorrow. I don't know. Um, I mean, honestly, though, talking is one of the only solutions to this. Um, that... Yeah. I mean, the other solutions are pretty bad. Yeah. Um, in general. They're not going to. Yeah. <laughs> but like I, I made a joke and I said that Adam Sandler's a comrade at the beginning he does have a lot of anti-capitalist messages in his movies, which I find very, very amusing and fun for me as a leftist. But I do consider him very much a liberal, as in, like, he, like... We've we've said classic liberal before. Yes. I, I think if people... Yeah, no, I, I meant I meant, like, the idea that you can just talk and they'll figure it out. Like, there's there's going to be a, a, a solution. But that being said, I feel like if I sat down with Adam Sandler and was able to have his, his time for a little bit... I could, I could, I could convert him. I could convert him over to to the left side. I yeah. I I think if we pointed out, even just stick to comedy, the amount of comedians who are funnier than the people we see now, who don't make it due to circumstance, that in itself would offend him. The fact that like there is an equal representation due to the fact that like, you know, most comedians are white dudes because they constantly show white dudes on TV. Mm-hmm. I, I just had a really angry argument about this in our industry. Um, this one being game design and not uh, politics. Cause that is what I do for my day job. Um, well, not anymore. Fuck it. Hire me. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I, I pointed out, hey, 
this is a really good way to never let new voices in and to stop diversity. And it's really going to stop people from, uh, you know, being able to see what's out there as far as like this goes. So, of course, they banned me um, because, you know, that's a solution, too. It's just to kick out people who want diversity. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I do think, though, this is a much better movie and a much better message than on average we can really give credit to Adam Sandler movies. Yeah. This is better this is a better message than most comedies I've seen. This movie had it it really thought about its viewpoint, I think. Like I don't think that its viewpoint was muddled at all. Mm-hmm. It was very consistent. Who wrote this movie? Um Robert Smiggle. Smiggle, Smiggle. Probably so Smiggle. I, I know him. He, he wrote for Conan O'Brien for a long time, which is mostly how I know him. Um, Conan O'Brien being the only funny late night. And he also... Oh, and, known... and Judd Apatow. Oh, and Judd Apatow. Sorry. Yes. That that explains it. But I was I was getting to it. Sorry. Um, Robert Smiggle is known for uh, Triumph the Comic Dog, who is really good. But then Judd App And I do want to point out, he's the one who came up with the basis of everything. Mm-hmm. Judd Apatow then helped make it funny. Um, and I do think Judd Apatow is very funny. I just know uh, a lot of people are turning on that one. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is that 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 he's good at is having a really consistent message in a movie too, um, like the stuff that he has written. You know what I'm I saying? Mean, yeah, yeah. Um, and he started out. I think he is an extremely good, at least at the start of his career, point of like honestly, just leftism in general, maybe with Freaks and Geeks and Undeclared. Those were very solid, in my opinion, on solid messages. Yeah, actually, he's written some of my favorite comedies. I like Heavyweights a lot. I think it's really funny. Freaks and Geeks is great. Pineapple Express, I actually really like a lot. (laughs) He wrote Funny People, which we're going to get to later. And that's really one of my tops for this, too, I think. Yeah, do we have anything else to say about this? I, I, think I, it's just I gen- do. I do have a couple other things to say. Um, number one, I do just want to point out that I um, am not usually attracted to Adam Sandler, but I was extremely attracted to him in the beginning of this movie because he looks really good with a beard and shaggy hair. Kind of weird. Also, I want to point out that he did not get painted on abs like they recommended. He just worked out a bunch. Yeah, out. He looked good. <laughs> yeah, he looked just very, uh, like not jacked necessarily, but literally, if you are more physically uh, fit than that, I don't trust you as a friend. That's the level <laughs> I'm okay with. And you know, the the one thing that I I gotta get my dig in on for Adam Sandler here is 
Rob Schneider's bit racist part, like the bit part went to a whole main character role, and that is not the direction I want them to move. Yeah, that's for sure. So I think for me, what I've learned about Adam Sandler from this movie is, I mean, it's kind of hard to say like where his influence on the script came from, but he can be an absolute goofball and pull off that so well. Yeah. And I think they, they need to realize when when you're not being the straight man, uh, don't be the straight man at all. Be be big and goofy if you yeah. want to be. But if you're going to do a, a straight up jokey one, or if you're going to be a straight man and joke in that way, do it that way. It's cutting between the two that doesn't work, which we saw a lot in the last movie. Um, mm-hmm. But I really, I thought this this one worked. I, I thought it worked, too. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's all I had to say. Really. On that point, we're halfway through. I know. What, uh, what are we thinking right now? Where, where does this put us in the Sandlerverse? What am I thinking? Yeah. um, Like, how how has this growth gone so far, basically? Is his message the same? Have we seen him change? Like, I mean, really the biggest... Losing Chris Farley and then gaining a Rob Schneider is, like, by far the worst part of this so far. Bad trade. Bad trade. But he has gained a Kevin James. Yeah, he just got him. So, uh, you know. We're finally getting in there. And a Nick Swartzen. Nick Swartzen's been in a couple of these movies now, and uh, I really yeah, like him. I, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm realizing pretty soon I'm not so sure where he uh, even goes, basically. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't remember much of the stuff he makes after this movie. Like, I can't remember him coming out with anything since 2009. I'll have to go through and so. look. Yeah. So here's yeah. What, here's what I'm thinking. At the beginning of his Happy Madison career, uh, but I can see I'm going to talk about themes first, and then I'm going to talk about like car- like career trajectory. Yeah. So themes at first we saw a lot of that like angry, almost adolescent rage, um, mm-hmm. and then it moved to much more of a mature. I'm just speaking the Adam Sandler driven ones to a more mature person and relationship focused and relationship stuff. focused um and family focused uh so there's that that i see and now i'm seeing him play a lot more confident roles basically yes where... he ha- he already has confidence yes yeah he he's it's not about him gaining a thing it's more about him being either true to himself or overcoming maybe a specific demon but also like, between this and The Longest Yard, it's very much about him mm-hmm. dealing with outside uh, issues, which I-, I think speaks a lot to the fact that maybe these are very specifically for Adam Sandler, because, mm-hmm. you know, they went through the who am I anger phase, then they went through the relationship phase, and now he's like, hey, the world's kind of a mess, but also... If I talk about it too directly, everyone's going to get angry. 
Um, another thing that I that I think like we have that run of movies. We have the Wedding Singer, the Water Boy, Big Daddy, Deuce Bigelow. Uh, sorry, not Deuce Bigelow, <laughs> Little Nicky. I'm just looking at our whole list, and like he's getting kind of crapped on by the critics here. When those I feel like are pretty niche kind of comedies, with maybe the exception of the Wedding Singer. Well, I I, I think that was a niche comedy that happened to hit it big yeah people don't generally love movies where a sad singing man falls in love you yeah. know like that's not that's not a knee slapper every time but then i see a couple of these movies that are just so corporate feeling mm. like everything rob schneider's ever been in yeah um and like Master of Disguise felt very corporate to me. Anchor Management felt very corporate to me. Yeah. Um, and now every once in a while he comes in with a real banger, you know? Um, and I think that he's finally like in this, in this, um, last couple of these movies, the, the ones that he's been in, it feels like he doesn't, it feels like he is, he likes to do movies now. Like, he, he likes to do yeah. it, and he has stopped kind of apologizing for doing kind of his style of things. And he's also doing some interesting artsy kind of movies like Rain Over Me, um, which may be not Happy Madison, but he's still, you know, he's a part of them. Um, yeah, it, that movie doesn't get made without him. I'm right. Not, I'm willing to say that. And at the same time, he's letting other people kind of use his brand and kind of hop on the the early Happy Madison train to do weird movies like Strange Wilderness um, and Gra- and Grandma's Boy, too. Like, letting people kind of hop... Well, Alan Covert, like, I know that it's his movie, but, like, letting letting those things grow, you know? I, I, don't, I don't really think of that as a let's. Alan Covert is, like, the number two guy in no, that's Madison, that's what I meant so. when, I, when I changed what yeah. I said. Yeah. Um, he just obviously isn't as good an actor. He yeah. can play himself, basically, or more, probably a slightly more douchier version of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I'm looking at our, I'm looking at our run of movies coming up, and I kind of see the same thing, like letting other yeah. other people do some movies, and he like pops in every once in a while to do a, to do. Well, a also when you when you say every once in a while, in in the next two years of movies, there is five things that come out. One's a vehicle for something else. One I think he's in. One I don't know anything about. I think it's probably a Rob Schneider movie. And then uh, another one I don't know anything about. And then one where he stars in and it's like a big movie with a friend of his. Like, in two years, he's putting out five movies. He's busy. Not only is he busy, if he cares about only one of these movies, how long do you think it takes to write a movie? It's It's not quick to do this stuff. No. Um, but like I so, said, I think he just yeah. enjoys it, and he's decided that like I'm just gonna enjoy what I'm doing. I think he like le- legit enjoys the process of writing a movie, being in a movie, producing a movie. I think he just likes to do it. Yeah, that and he, I mean, he's now been making movies for 2020. He's been doing it for 30 years. Yeah, he has he's, like his own money now. He can put into whatever he wants. He doesn't have like he doesn't have a care in the world right now. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of this is probably the, like, you know, 30 years from now, if I can just say some nonsense of a game I want, and then some of my friends will help me out, and then people will bust out the editing for me, 
oh man, I'm pumping one out every six months and it'll be a great time. <laughs> yeah. But. I mean, this movie also made a tremendous amount of money. Yeah, and that's the thing is, there, there's still that, I, I'm going to, uh, I think you're editing this one, so I'm going to do what I've been talking about for a while, and I'm going to try to contextualize the ratings versus the amount of money people get in some interesting ways. Because mm-hmm. um, I really want to see, for every percentage point, uh, audience or critics hate this movie, how much more money they make. I think that's <laughs> going to be a fun thing. Yeah, very interesting. So. Yeah, like I said, this movie is so, the back to Don't Mess with Zohan, this movie is so divisive because I've seen some people say this is a legit masterpiece to I can't believe that some people like this movie. It's like, mm-hmm. and then people have the, the audacity to say like, oh, Adam Sandler is not divisive and then anytime you talk about adam sandler you get a bunch of people who like throw hate on him you know it's just yeah i mean like the my favorite thing too um i i've now that quarantine's basically over i've gone to two gatherings with six people at them um and each time these people get so into an argument so quickly about what is a good and bad uh (laughs) Adam Sandler movie when I start talking about this that it just blows me away and it's so much fun. Everyone wants to talk about it. Everyone like and, and everyone actually cannot agree on which are good movies and which ones are fucking the worst. And I love that. I don't like to talk to people about it right now because it just makes me mad when they're trying to say things that I already said. Come on, listen to my podcast. And we'll let's have a real conversation. <laughs> Although uh, uh Joe Joe definitely monologued about Little Nicky for a while. I'm sure okay. he he loves Little Nicky. He loves that guy. Um. Anyhow, next time. Oh wait, I I forgot to mention. This is the three star Sandlayer movie. Oh of my course, gosh, you knew that. And the next movie is The House Bunny. I don't know anything about it. I think it might have to do with Playboy and a sorority house. Am I right? You are correct, sir. Well, that movie's probably not going to be very good. Well, you said the same thing about White Chick. Or, not White Chick, Hot Chick. (laughs) Well, hey, you know, I sure did. You can find our podcast at Laugh at Him Pod on Twitter. Uh, And do us a favor, if you're listening to this, if you could rate and review and subscribe to our podcast it would be really helpful every everyone that we have shared like has actually like listened to this has liked the podcast and it gives me a confidence boost that really just gets me through the day so if you could do that for me that would be really nice um consider it a personal favor to me you can also find our games at wannabegames.com uh, and you can support us at patreon.com at, oh, sorry, at patreon at patreon.com slash games. But how about instead you do this? You go and donate to Doctors Without Borders because they will support people no matter where they are when it comes to humanitarian crises um, and get them the, the, the medical care that they need, uh, especially if you can donate to them or to an organization that is helping the Yemeni humanitarian crisis where there is one of the worst famines in human history going on there, um, you, you should do that. Do that with your money. That is one of those conflicts that um, 
imperialism has only made worse. Yeah. I tweet at Joska. And if you want some bad medical advice, I tweet at Kitty Crusade. Yeah, I kind of bum myself out right now, so take my wife, please. End of pod. (laughs) 